Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Hi, GT. My name's Darren. It's great to be with you today. And we're continuing on our series about Jesus through the perspective of Mark. So my topic is Jesus the Defender. So when I first read the idea of Defender, I'm wondering for you what it looks like in your experience or imagination. For me, when I read that, the first thing that came to mind was a power ballad. Something from Peter Satira back in 1986 called The Glory of Love. It was actually made famous in the Karate Kid 2 soundtrack. But the the title in there, in the chorus, says, I am the man who will fight for your honour. I am the hero that you're dreaming of. Now, I've tried to sing that to Christy and it hasn't gone well. So men, I don't recommend it. But the other thing that I've thought of when I thought about Defender was sport. And guys, if you were like me, the 2010 Winter Olympics, the Canadian men's hockey team, I was there watching it. Admittedly, I was in Brisbane watching in the patient waiting room at the hospital I used to work at. But I was there with Christy, we were excited. The ladies had just won their gold medal and the guys were here 2-2 at the end of regulation time. There, standing in the hockey goal, was Roberto Luongo. And he had already saved 39 shots on goal from the US team. And there, while the guys were there, they scored. You could only imagine what Lorongo was doing, kind of the slow motion, oh yeah, the defender, he was there. Maybe you see more of the movies. Maybe it's a Shrek 2 sort of thing. I love Shrek. You know, you would have Shrek there. You would have Donkey, Puss in Boots, Gingy, the whole team who were there defending Princess Fiona from the manipulative fairy godmother and from Prince Charming. As for me, when it comes back to home more personally, you know what? Our son Cody was in the ICU for about two weeks back in 2009. And we had a whole bunch of friends rallying around us, cooking us meals, taking our other daughter Sierra out on trips so she wouldn't feel left out. They prayed for us, they checked in with us and just to find out how you doing. So team, I guess maybe the question I would ask is that sometimes you would ask the question, where was someone when I needed a defender? Maybe you needed a guardian at some time or a protector and no one was there. And those wounds remain harsh, fresh and real. And I understand that too. There was a time back in 2001 that I was on a cruise up into Alaska with my parents. Sadly, during that time, 9-11 happened. And when we came back, there was confusion between the Canadian and the US authorities. So I got off the boat and my passport wasn't actually stamped. You could only imagine what happened when I left the country, went back to Australia, and then came back to Canada soon after from our wedding. Going en route to Canada via the US, I had two massive border patrol guys who came and took me into a room and interrogated me for 45 minutes about how I could magically get out of the States and reappear again. I wish I would have had a defender at that time. I needed someone because they didn't believe me. But guys, the other thing is, Not only have I needed a defender, but I've actually been the accuser at times. See, I talked about my son in ICU for the two weeks. In his rehab that he was going through, I felt powerless to try and help him. 
So I was there saying, come on, Cody, you can do it. Let's make it happen. And he turned around to me at one stage with fire in his eyes and said, Dad, I can't. It wasn't a father of the year moment, I guarantee. As we look at this passage, you know what? It can be really sobering to look back through our life journey, asking questions of ourselves, of other people and of God, asking where were you when I needed you? But also, where was I when you needed me? Important to ask both questions. So let's take a look at the story through Mark's narrative and see how we can piece this together. So to set the scene, verse three, it says a very simple phrase, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany. Well, Bethany was a town that was about two miles away from Jerusalem, a place that Jesus went to often because he had friends there. If you've done any reading through the Gospels, Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, were all there. So Jesus was hanging out with them. This happened round about a week before Jesus was crucified. So it was actually thought to happen on the Saturday before Palm Sunday and Jesus' victorious entry into Jerusalem. As to where it happened, it was in a place called of the house of Simon the leper. Now, the leper, you know, stay away, unclean, unclean. The, the, the idea of the leper was just a qualifier using to differentiate this Simon from any other Simons on the scene at that time. It's kind of like people saying, Darren, the Aussie Canuck, would differentiate me from anyone else. So in the Gospel of Matthew and John, it suggests that Simon the leper was throwing a feast Maybe or possibly it was thought that he was in grateful acknowledgement of what Jesus had done in healing his friend Lazarus from the dead. And you could only imagine the conversation that time. Yeah, you know, hey, Lazarus, dude, what was it like to be like six foot under and then all of a sudden back to life again, breathing? How was yeah, it? would have been a great, great time. So there was a whole lot of interplay between the disciples and maybe other people who were there as well. The party atmosphere would have been cool. And then all of a sudden, a lady enters the room. And you could have kind of heard a pin drop with what she, not necessarily who she was, but what she did. This lady wasn't actually named, but it was generally thought to maybe be Mary Magdalene or maybe one of the sisters of Lazarus. But this lady came in with an alabaster flask of perfume, broke it and poured it over Jesus' head. And the Gospel of John says, poured it over his feet as well. The fragrance filled the house. Could you have imagined like the old Westerns that happen? You know, when the stranger comes into town and the, he enters the bar, there's all this partying that happens. The piano player stops playing. Everyone stops talking. And there was that moment. This is that. See, what she anointed Jesus with was called nard. This perfume was made from the root of a plant made and grown in the East Indies. It was an ancient and very costly oil that was made throughout the Roman Empire, but was so expensive that it was really only accessible for the rich. The flask was about 12 ounces. And see, for the metric amongst us, that was about 354 milliliters. So the idea of a can of Coke, or for our most healthy conscious, <laughs> is a can of bubbly. This would have been about the size. The costly value would have given idea, a scent 
to the respect that she had for the recipient whom she was anointing. The cost of this alone in a few of the Gospels said it would have been more than 300 denarii. So this would have been upwards of 19,000 US, so maybe 23,000 Canadian. Matthew quoted this in his Gospel, and Matthew is a former tax collector, so he was really good with money. He knew what he was talking about. Matthew's Gospel, it says that one denarii was actually the wage given to a labourer for their daily manual labour. So if you did the, the, the calculations with me, one year's wage, so eight hours of manual labour per day, times 340 days, so subtracting days for Sabbath and maybe a little bit of time off for good behaviour, would have been about 2,700 work hours over a year. That's a huge investment to pour out on this man. But you know what? For this lady, she held nothing back. A sporting analogy, she left it all on the court. She gave everything that she had and she was all in to the tribute of her king who was worthy. See, the price of one year's wages didn't compare to the love, the thankfulness and the gratitude that she had from her Jesus who had brought her back from a once desolate life to that of joy and loving expression of life and followership. You see, maybe this lady was, I would argue, was a leader in her own right. See, she prophetically saw what other people could not. Jesus' death was imminent, and so the sacrifice that she gave heralded the preparation of his body for the funeral and for death. See, John Maxwell, an amazing writer on leadership himself, notes three things about leadership. He says that leaders see before others see. Leaders see more than others see, and leaders see further than others see. And I would dare argue that this is exactly what this lady did in all three aspects. But gratitude is often judged and critiqued by those around, <laughs> and so it was there, as it is here. You see, you read a little bit further on in the story, and Matthew 4, 14 says, but there were some who grumbled to one another. <laughs> and following it says, Matthew 4, 5 says, they were angry at her. Well, do you know what? This grumbling and this anger might have <laughs> represented, <laughs> in another word, they were resentful. They scolded her. They berated her. Or this day and age, they verbally abused her. They said, what a waste of this expensive perfume. This could have been sold and money given to the poor and help out our social system. That was their argument. Have you ever been there before? Hey, have you ever been angry and judging someone for how they choose to spend their money? <laughs> Isn't it funny? This was her money. So wasn't it her choice in terms of how she spent it? See, maybe this highlights something for, for them. Maybe it highlights something for us. Maybe a discontentment, greed, a darkness or an emptiness in our own soul. There's a Jewish theologian, Martin Barber, who described the healthiest possible relationship between two human beings as being the I-thou relationship. And this is how it works. 
a person realises that they are made in the image of God. That's what it describes in Genesis 1.27, that God made male and female in his own image. But it's not just that we were created in God's image, so is every other person on the face of the planet, past, present and future. You see, this concept therefore makes the other person thou. So I am invited to affirm their worth and their dignity irrespective of my personal beliefs about their life choices. It's a very, very interesting spin. You see, in some circumstances, instead of treating other people as thou, we treat them as objects. It becomes an I-it relationship. And I talk about them as the disciple did towards this lady. So I talk at them or I talk about them And then I get frustrated when they don't listen and conform to my plans and my thoughts. So you read in verse four and five, and it says, so they grumbled and they were angry at her, but who was they? So let's redefine that. Mark Mark doesn't exactly say, but John, oh, he's happy to spill the beans. John in John 12 verses four to seven says, it was one of Jesus' disciples the disciple known as Judas Iscariot, who would later betray Jesus. See, verse six says, Jesus Iscariot did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, (laughs) a keeper of the money bag, and he used to take from what was put in there. Don't you love the idea of Judas? Well, I guess I need a snack right now. So the general money bag, I'll take something out and buy something. I'm sure the rest of the disciples knew that's why John put it in there. But you see, for Judas Iscariot, greed was the pivotal invitation for this man. And ultimately, he betrayed Jesus, his own master, for 30 pieces of silver, as it talks about in Matthew 26. That's setting the scene And now you have Jesus, the defender, who steps into the conversation. In verse six, Jesus said to them, leave her alone. Why are you so critical of this woman? She has honored me with this beautiful act of kindness in preparation for his burial. See, Jesus' nature is a perfect representation of his father's heart. We don't exactly know the the tone in which Jesus would have said it, but Jesus was doing three things. Jesus, in saying what he did, he defended this lady's actions. In saying what he did, he defended this lady's heart. And in saying what he did, he defended this lady's godly inspiration. Her actions, her heart, and her inspiration. As I said, Jesus and the Father's heart are all one. They are so beautiful so that what happens in one is obviously happening in the other. You see this as you do a word study through the Bible. You look at the word defender and this is what it says. In Psalm 68, five, it says, a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. Psalm 72.12 says, he will rescue the needy when they cry out for help, and the oppressed who have no defender. And Proverbs 23, 11 
says, for their defender is strong and he will plead their case. A couple interesting things to note about Jesus is that notice that Jesus in defending this lady did so without demeaning or denigrating her accuser, Judas. He never said, Judas, you dirty, rotten scoundrel. Oh, I know what you do. I saw you taking that money out. And in a couple of days time, I know that it's going to be you who puts me on the cross. Didn't say that. He defended a lady without demeaning the accuser. And please also note that a couple verses later, and literally in real time, a couple days later, Jesus did not try and defend himself at his own sham trial. You look at Mark 14, 57 and 61, and it says, Then some stood up and began giving false testimony against Jesus. But he kept silent and did not offer any answer. This is exactly what Jesus does. See, in life, there are always going to be people who misunderstand us, who don't like us, who criticise us, judge us, attack us, spread rumours about us. Mind you, we also do this to other people as well. But when we're attacked, maybe our first reaction is to defend ourselves or attack back. <laughs> it could go either way. See, when people criticise me, then I'll attack them back. If they insult me, I will insult you too. But instead, our Christ-like invitation is to let Jesus be our defender. See, every time we're under attack or we're criticised or we're accused, we have two choices. We can either defend ourselves or we can let Jesus defend us. <laughs> Who do you think will be the, do the better job? Yeah, <laughs> I'm the same. Jesus hands down every time. But see, the people murmuring and grumbling in that room didn't make the connection that loving God and loving others are inseparable. They missed the fact that this lady, let's call her thou. They missed the fact that this lady was anointing Jesus right in front of them. See, with Jesus' love comes a divine awareness. Without this, we only see people as they are in the here and now. But Jesus, with a heart of compassion, we can see people and honour them for how he sees them and he loves them. The primary ingredient of godly love is really seeing people through his eyes. An interrelated ingredient is being honest with ourselves, our own motives, our emotions, our needs, and our tendency to sometimes control and manipulate other people for our benefit. See the beautiful phrase, we are most resembling Jesus when we defend the broken and leave everything else in his hands. So let me say that just one more time. We most closely resemble Jesus when we defend the broken and leave everything else in his hands. See, as we wrap the story up, verse nine in the same story, Jesus says, whenever the gospel is preached, this woman's passionate and generous sacrifice will celebrate her heart and life. 
Wouldn't that be an awesome thing to have on your tombstone? That this person's generous life celebrated their heart and life because of their sacrifice. See, this lady had a personal history with her defender, a personal relationship with her defender. My question is, do you? See, please remember, Jesus Christ is your defender. He is never your accuser. So don't allow the voices of accusation that surround you, even maybe those inside your head, to stop you today from getting to Jesus because he is available for you. Jesus died for everyone and will defend anyone who surrenders to him and follows his purpose for them. See, today, maybe you don't have that relationship yet. I would invite you into this life-giving relationship that transforms the whole life that we get the opportunity of living. It's a very simple prayer that you can pray that I know Pastor Adam prays with many of his team as well. It's three words, thank you, sorry, please. It very much simply says, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me. Thank you for loving me and thank you for loving me to the point of your own death to have a relationship with me. Sorry for what I've done in my life. I've tried and I've screwed up on so many occasions and there is no way that I can establish a right relationship between me and you. So please come and restore me. Change me from the inside out that I may be in relationship with you and that I can love other people the way that you do and show them your example. So for anyone who has prayed that prayer, I am celebrating with you as is our whole church and the <laughs> the, the, the herald of angels, herald? Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe the host of angels is there celebrating with you. God now has relationship with you. Jesus is your brother and the Holy Spirit now empowers you to live the way that you're called to. So I would love it. So maybe if you're watching church online, could you text the word life with a number on screen? Because that would be a great way that we can come alongside and work this journey with you. We're all walking it out together. If you're here watching in person, oh, welcome back to the building. <laughs> Gee, it's nice to have you in again. I would encourage you, we have a great Next Steps team at the back there, and they would love to do life with you in person, pray with you, and give you some information that can help you take your next step in the journey. Now, maybe you have a relationship with Jesus already. I would love to ask you, though, how are you working out that I-thou relationship? It's challenging, no doubt. But I would encourage you to start this week looking at people the way that Jesus created them in his own image and loving them that way. Lastly, a great verse when I was looking about Defender says this, Psalm 62 verse 5 to 7, I depend on God alone. I put my hope in him and he alone protects and saves people. He is my Defender and I shall never be defeated. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my strong protector. He is my shelter. Guys, have a great week. Amen.